singer too. Praise the Lord for the message of that song. You know, I am convinced that as Jesus once told the people that if they didn't give praise and glory to God that the trees and rocks would sing out. They really will. And I'm grateful that there's so many ways that God can speak. And I'm grateful that he's spoken through that song. And I'm praying now that he's going to speak to you and me through his word. And um, last Sunday, as I began the message, I told you I, I didn't know where to start last week. And I feel that same way again today as I talk with you about God having a plan for each one of us. And folks, that's just one of the realities of reading the Word of God. God has absolutely got a plan for each one of us. And last Sunday, today, and I don't know how many sermons we're going to have in this, but I want us to look at the plan that God had for the Apostle Paul. And I believe that as you and I look at Paul's life and how God worked in it, we can see how God wants to work in our life. Last week, I read the entire 26th chapter of the book of Acts, and God willing, I'm going to do that again this morning. But before we pray, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9, because that's where we're going to get started this morning in Acts chapter 9. But let's pray together, okay? Father, perhaps this seems just another worship service, but in the span of eternity, what great moments these are as we come not to sit in pews and hear a preacher but as we are ushered into the very presence of God and can open the word of God and can allow the spirit of God to speak our hearts and minds and father we pray that that would happen lord we we've already got enough religion we just need a closer walk with you and lord we need an infilling of your spirit we need to feed upon your word and we need to be obedient to the plan that you have for our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you'll speak through me. And I confess again my unworthiness to stand before your people and to be your vessel. But I pray today, Father, that my life and my mouth would be open to you and used in your kingdom's work. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you have a plan for us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I encouraged you to read Acts 26. I hope that you've done that, and if you haven't, I want to encourage you to do that. This morning, I want to give you a little bit more background on what Acts 26 is all about. And I want to tell you again that I am praying that God, in these coming weeks, will speak to you and me about his plan. And I realize that all of us are at different places in our life. Number one, I pray for those that have yet to trust Christ as their Savior. And what I mean by that is to acknowledge their sin and lostness and need of a Savior. I'm praying for a desire in your heart to repent of sin and then, by faith, trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to trust me or this church or being baptized. I'm asking you to trust that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to this earth, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and he is bidding people come to him to be born into the kingdom of God. And that's God's plan for you and for me. And secondly, as a Christian who has already believed, God has a plan after our conversion experience. He does. Getting saved is just the beginning of the experience that he wants us to have. 
That experience and that plan includes living for and serving Christ until our death or until Jesus comes back again. And folks, we need to stop putting off serving him because his coming might be sooner than we can ever imagine. And a third plan I believe we need to look at is God's plan for our church. God's got a plan for Theresa Baptist Church as well as for every church. He wants us to be empowered by the Spirit of God. He wants us preaching His gospel, strengthening and equipping believers. He wants you and I loving a lost world. Have you ever had a week where you just felt like God was working on you? And, and, and you know, this past week, the way I feel like He worked on me was to say, everybody you see, love them. Just love them. Whether you like them or not, just love them. I mean, that is the Jesus thing to do, isn't it? And I'm not being sacrilegious it truly is. Folks, people will not know that we're his disciples until they see us loving each other and see us loving them. And the Lord's plan is that we minister to others in Jesus' name and that we go into the world telling the story of Jesus. Folks, God's got a plan, and that's what I want to talk about again. Before you and I can fully understand what's going on in Acts 26, and if you weren't here last week, again, just this, I, I don't think it's going to be very hard to get into the flow of things. To understand what is happening in Acts 26, we've got to go back to Acts chapter 9. Paul, on the road to Damascus, meets the Lord Jesus Christ. After his meeting, he is stricken with blindness. He goes into the city of Damascus, praying, waiting for God to send someone to tell him God's plan for his life. And we're going to pick up in chapter 9, verse 11. God is speaking to a man named Ananias. And the Lord said to Ananias, verse 11, Rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And all of us know that before he was saved, he was called Saul, but his name was changed to Paul. Paul. And it says, Go, there's a man named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Now, can you imagine this? Paul has just gotten saved. Paul has lived such a life against Christ, thinking that Jesus was a charlatan, he was a liar, he was leading people astray. And, and Paul was trying to destroy everything about Jesus and that movement. But now he has found Jesus to be the Savior, and he doesn't know what to do with his life next. And so he is praying. And in verse 12, he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And listen to verse 13. You think you and I have trouble doing the Lord's will? Listen to this. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. You see, Paul's reputation as a sinner and persecutor of Christians and of the church has already reached Damascus and Ananias. And he says, Lord, thanks, but no thanks. But listen to what the Lord says in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, now listen, folks, until God's plan can work out in Paul's life, God's plan must be worked out in Ananias' life, right? Now think about that for just a second. For a lot of people that are waiting to know the Lord before that plan can be worked out in their life, God's plan must be worked out in my life and your life where we live before them as Christians and share the gospel story with them. 
And it must be lived out in this church where the community is watching us to see if we really mean business about God. But listen to verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And folks, listen to verse 15 and 16. For in this God reveals his plan for Paul. Listen, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings. You remember who Paul stands before and witnesses to in in Acts 26? King Herod Agrippa II. And remember that title because I've got something to tell you in just a few minutes. And the sons of Israel. You and I understand that in Acts 26, this plan is literally being carried out. There are Jews there. There are Gentiles there. There are kings and governors there. And listen to verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Part of God's plan for Paul was him to suffer. And folks, you might say, well, how could a loving God want his children to suffer? Well, let me tell you what happened to the early church. The more they suffered, the bolder they became for Christ. The more they were persecuted, the more they were put to death, the more bold they became for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, but he is in prison in Acts 26 in the town of Caesarea. He has been there for two years, but he has not given up his faith. He has not turned his back on the Lord. He is still still boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, let me tell you, I don't think I'd have been doing that. If I'd have been in prison 30 days, I'd have been saying, let me, whatever I got to say against Jesus, let me out of this place. Wouldn't you and I? You know, are we ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis? Do people really know that we're Christians? They, they might know that we come to Theresa Baptist Church, but do they know that we are Christ followers and we believe in him? Well, folks, let me move on to, um, to some more background information, okay? Just as God had promised Paul through Ananias that he would carry Christ's name before his own people, the Jews and Gentiles, on his missionary journeys and imprisonments. And remember, Paul never stopped witnessing as he was in prison. But also, Acts 25 and 26, Paul is brought before kings. And folks, listen, again, to understand chapter 26, you've got to understand what had gone on before. Paul's life is threatened by the Jews in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 23, they're already making plots to to knock Paul off, to assassinate him, to kill him. And so he's going to have to be transferred from Jerusalem because if, if they don't get him out of Jerusalem, guess what? They're going to kill him. And listen to this verse in Acts 23, verse 11. And folks, I don't think Paul was a superhuman person. I think he was just like you and I, but he is filled by the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God. I believe that there were times that Paul became afraid. And listen, this is Acts 23, verse 11, and this is when they're getting ready to try and and kill him in Jerusalem. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified about me at Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also at Rome. If you will, leave that verse up there for just a second, D. You see, God's plan for our life is going to be revealed little by little. Paul has been preaching. He's been on his missionary journeys. He'd gone back to the city of Jerusalem, and he met with stiff opposition to the point that they were going to kill him. And the Lord says to him, take courage, but I want to tell you something, Paul. Just as you witnessed for me in Jerusalem, you're going to witness for me in Rome. 
Folks, if Paul believed, and I believe that he did, what God was saying, what the Lord was saying to him, he knew he wasn't going to die in Caesarea that we find in Acts 26. He knows that he's going to eventually get to Rome according to the words of Jesus himself. And so, folks, when he gets to Caesarea, he doesn't care how long he stays in prison. He doesn't care how many people he has paraded before. He sees that as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he knows that Jesus is going to see him safely through. Well, folks, we're going to find out later on in these messages, whenever that God's made the same promises to us, that he will not forsake us or desert us. And so Paul gets transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And again, folks, please hang with me on this, okay? And folks, I know sometimes here you might think I'm trying to give you a history lesson. It might be that, but folks, I'm trying to share with you the Word of God and what is contained therein. And what is beginning to worry me about our world, not necessarily about you, but our world, that the only place that we can come and hear the gospel is in churches unless we read the scriptures ourselves, unless we listen to Christian radio. Folks, it is important when we come to this time and place that we get into the book, into the word of God. And I promise you as your pastor, I'm going to try my very best to ask God to give me his word so that I can share it with you. That's not about me. That's about the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So Paul has been taken and transferred to Caesarea. And the events of Acts 26 begin to happen here. And folks, let me point out that the setting of chapter 26 of Acts is this. Paul has already appeared before Governor Felix in chapter 24 also Governor Festus in Acts 25. And listen to what Acts 24, 27 says, okay? And again, I want to verify what I'm telling you is according to the Scripture, okay? But when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Again, folks, I want to point out Paul is in the Caesarean prison for two years when we read about him standing before Agrippa in Acts 26. And folks, again, I would not want to be in prison for two years, but what we've got to understand, all of this is part of the plan of God for Paul's life. Amen? Amen. That's, hard to, that's hard to handle, isn't it? That God would want this man to stay in prison but folks, listen, listen to what was in Paul's heart. Listen to this verse in Acts 20, 24. Let me again warn you that as Paul, as Paul stopped his missionary journeys and he was going back to Jerusalem, there was a prophet that told him, do not go because chains await you. You're going to be put in prison. And Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ began to say, Paul, don't go, don't go. And listen to what Paul says. Can you and I say this about our life? Listen to this. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may accomplish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Can we say that? God, I want your plan to be done. That's basically what Paul is saying. Paul knew what was before him, but he wouldn't back down. Let me carry this a little bit farther. The reason that Paul is still in prison 
is because they don't know what to do with him. You see, the Jews want Paul put to death, but because Paul is a Roman citizen, there must be some terrible charge against him that would be worthy of death. And both Felix and Festus, the governors during these two years, cannot really find a criminal charge against Paul. And so they're going to send him to Rome before the emperor. Now, now they don't understand that God's plan is being worked out in Paul's life. But who's going to come to town but King Agrippa II? You remember again back in Acts 9, God told Ananias, you tell Paul I'm going to get him testifying before his own brethren, the Jews, the Gentiles, and who else? The kings. Who was this King Agrippa? I'll, I, again, last, last Sunday, I think I might have told you that Bernice was his wife. I was wrong. Bernice is his sister, and I'll get to that in just a second. But, folks, his full title was King Herod Agrippa II. That's his official name. It's thought that Agrippa was about 30 years old. And you might be saying, well, so what? But, folks, let me tell you about this man. Guess who his great-grandfather was? It was King Herod. You remember King Herod? Listen to this verse in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Let's look at it as I read it. Matthew 2, verse 16. You remember this is about the birth of Jesus? Then Herod, when he saw what he had been, that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region were, who were two years old or under according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. King Agrippa II that Paul is standing before in Acts 26, his great-grandfather had those babies killed in Bethlehem. Do you think Agrippa didn't know that his great-grandfather did that? We know what our grandparents did. Folks, next let me mention his father, King Herod Agrippa I. Is he mentioned in Scripture? Yes, he is. I'm glad you asked that question. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this, Acts 12, verses 1 and 2. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. This is King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa II's father. So let me tell you about this man's family that Paul is standing before. His great-grandfathers had the babies killed at the birth of Jesus. His father has had James, the disciple, the brother of John, slain. And if you read the third verse, he actually has Peter put in jail. And folks, what I'm pointing up to is Agrippa II comes from a line of people that refuse to have anybody in competition with their being king, and so they're trying to wipe everything out about this King Jesus. But let me carry this one step farther. Agrippa is accomplished by Bernice. And last week again, I tell you, that was his wife. I was wrong. That is Agrippa's sister. And I want to tell you what historians tell us or believe, that they were probably living in incest. 
a brother and sister when Paul appeared before them. And folks, if you've got your Bible open, turn to chapter 26. And I want you to get the mindset of what is going on here, okay? In chapter 25, verse 23, listen to this. Acts 25, verse 23. And this is why I encourage you to bring your Bible. We don't have this, this passage on the screen. But folks, these are real stories of real events. Acts 25, 23. So on the morrow, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Now, folks, here they come marching in, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but they're marching in, I'm sure, in all their kingly apparel. Surely Paul knows the background of Agrippa, too. Surely Paul knows the word is out about he and his sister are living in incest, and she seemed to be a gold digger because she has been married before to another king, and she's going to be married again to one of the Caesars. And Paul knows that he is going to be in the lion's den, so to speak, but will he back down? Absolutely not. He has got a fire in his soul that has been put there by Jesus himself. Folks, we need that fire in us. There's a passage in Jeremiah, and this is a side note. I don't even have this in my notes, but there's a passage in Jeremiah. Every time I get discouraged and absolutely want to quit ministry, I read about how Jeremiah was treated. He never had a convert in over 30 years of ministry. They tried to kill him. The other prophet said, Jeremiah is a liar. Whatever he tells the king, it's a lie, it's not from God. And the reverse was true. He was the only one that was telling the truth. And he's called the weeping prophet because he wept so often and so much over his people who would not repent. And so one day he tells God, I've had enough. I'm not going to say anything else from you that you've told me. And Jeremiah said that suddenly God put a fire in his bones and he could not stop proclaiming the gospel, not the gospel because he lived in the Old Testament time. Folks, we need a fire lit under us again. And I'm speaking about myself as well. Folks, we're living in a world that seems to be controlled by Satan and all of his minions. But guess what? The gospel cannot be put out. You remember what it says? The light came into the world, and the world has not put it out or comprehended it. Folks, listen. He that is within us is greater than he that's within the world. And Paul knew that when he stood before Agrippa and Bernice and those prominent people of the city of Caesarea, that that same Jesus who had stood by him that night in the barracks in Jerusalem was there as an unseen presence. Do you and I understand that on a day-to-day basis, it is that Lord Jesus Christ that is walking with us. I'm going to run out of time in just a few minutes, but I want to read again Acts 26. With all of this background, listen to God's plan for Paul, and just listen as I read these verses. Agrippa said to Paul, this is chapter 26, verse 1, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I think myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against the accusations of the Jews. 
because you're especially familiar with all customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and at Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And let me, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm trying not to make many comments today, okay, because I want to read this chapter. But folks, I want to point something out. Paul was saying, I was religious, but I was lost. I was religious, but I was lost. Verse 6, and now I stand on trial for hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night, and for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Now let me stop for just a second and point something out. Paul says that the gospel is this. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Do you and I understand that it's not, not only important that we preach that Jesus died on the, on the cross for our sins, but that he rose again to prove that he is God. He has conquered sin, death, hell. He's conquered it all for us, and the resurrection proves that. And you see, this is what got Paul in so much trouble. He is preaching that this man, Jesus, that they put to death on a cross outside of Jerusalem is alive. Why is he preaching that? Acts 9, he met him on the road to Damascus. And this is the importance, as important as, as the death of Jesus is the resurrection of the Lord. And this is why they're trying him. Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only shut up many of the saints in prisons by authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Thus, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining round me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, and I love this, God calls, Jesus calls Paul by name. Of course, back then his name was Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, and that expression means that you're hurting your own self. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Jesus is real. He's resurrected, he's alive, he's the very son of God. And this is what Jesus told Paul in verse 16, but rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, for this purpose. I love that. He's saying, Paul, I've got a plan for you. That's the message, folks. God's got a plan for us. If you're not saved, he wants you saved. If you're saved, he wants you serving him. If you're a part of this church, we're to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ together, worshiping, being empowered by the Spirit, preaching the gospel, growing in our faith. For this purpose, to appoint you to serve and bear witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I send you. Listen to God's plan for Paul, verse 18, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wherefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those at Damascus 
then at Jerusalem and throughout all the country of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds worthy of their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles. Now, folks, listen. Paul is testifying, but suddenly he is interrupted by Governor Festus. Listen to this. And as he made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are mad. Your great learning has turned you mad. Has anybody ever told you you were crazy? Don't raise your hand, all right? Paul... (laughs) Paul is accused of being crazy. But Paul in verse 25 says, I am not mad, most excellent Festus. I am speaking the sober truth. For the king knows about all these things. To him I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Now listen. I'm just about finished, but I want you to pay attention to the last things I've got to say. Please, please, I'm asking you, not telling you, I'm asking you, okay? Somehow, Paul knows that God is working in the heart of Agrippa. I believe that. And you see, Festus has made the charge that he has gone crazy. But Agrippa, who is over Festus, Paul directs his statement to him. I know that you know about these things, Paul is saying. I know that you know about Jesus. Did Paul mean by that your great-grandfather had the babies killed in Bethlehem at his birth? Your father had James, the disciple, killed and Peter arrested. You've heard about these things, Agrippa. Would you believe And listen to what Agrippa says in verse 28. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, you think to make me a Christian. The King James translates that almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Bible scholars debate about what Agrippa was trying to say. Some think that he's making fun of Paul. And he's essence saying to Paul, Paul, do you think that you can tell me that a man died and then rose again? I'm going to believe that he can change my life. Some Bible scholars think that Agrippa's saying, I hear you, Paul, but not now. Not now. I'll not trust Christ now. Let me tell you a story that I read this week, and, and again, I'll close. And again, this is what I want you to listen to. I read the story, and of course, I don't know that this actually happened, but this is a story. Satan had a meeting in hell, a very important meeting, and he called four of his leading demons together, and he commanded these four demons to think up a new lie that would trap more souls. The first demon said, I'll go to earth and tell people there is no God. But Satan said, that won't work because people can look around them and see that there is a God. Amen? Amen. Okay. 
So the second demon said, I'll go to earth and tell them that there is no heaven. But again, Satan rejected that idea because Satan said everyone knows there's life after death and everyone wants to go to heaven. A third demon said, well, I'll go to earth and tell them there's no hell. And Satan rejected that idea also because Satan said, a person's conscience tells them that their sins will be judged. We need a better lie than that. And so the fourth demon very quietly said to Satan, I think I can solve your problem. I'll go to earth and tell everyone there is no hurry to believe in Jesus. I am not trying to put the squeeze on anybody, but let me ask you something. Is that the way you feel about asking Jesus to be your Savior? Is that the way you and I feel about, as Christians, about having God's plan worked out in our life? There's no hurry. Please hear me from my heart, okay? The Bible talks about God's Spirit wooing us to Him. And that there'll come a day when the Spirit of God no longer will seek to woo us if we keep turning Him away. I don't know when that day is set, and I can't tell you that I don't know. But the Bible talks about turn not away from the Lord when the Spirit of God is leading you. We don't know what happened to King Agrippa. I don't know what happened. Did he ever get another chance to receive Christ as Savior? I don't know. But I know one thing. It was God's plan that Agrippa II be saved. It was God's plan that he hear a man named Paul testify about how he met the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. Can you imagine they had, they had marched into that that hall with great pomp, with the military tribunes, with the leading citizens of the city. And here's that little, what many think was a very small and short, bald-headed preacher saying, in essence, Agrippa, you need to get saved. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, but no thanks. And my brothers and sisters in Christ... God has a plan for us after we're saved. Is that plan being worked out? All of us are guilty of saying, well, I've just got a little bit more I want to do for myself, Lord. And you know one of the struggles that, that I think all of us are, are coming up with as Christians is how much time will we give to God? Do you and I understand that every minute is a gift from God to us? We don't manufacture it ourselves. God has a plan. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that along with the other passages that we read, that you will just touch our hearts. Lord, it's so easy to say that God has got a plan, but it's so hard for us to yield to the plan that you have for us. Thank you, Father, for the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Father, that he was willing to, to go, go before kings and Gentiles and Jews and whomever he met 
Thank you, Lord, that he was willing to bear witness. Thank you that he was willing to be in prison for many years. Thank you that when the opportunity came, he would share the love of Christ. Father, thank you that in these moments right now that you're offering your salvation to those that might be here that have not trusted your son. And Lord, maybe today is not the day. Maybe, Father, it's not in your plan that people would be born again into the kingdom today. But Lord, maybe it is. Maybe you've been knocking on the door of hearts for a good while now, but people have said, I want to wait a little bit longer. Almost, but not yet. Father, I pray that if there be those here that have not yet trusted Christ and they know that you're knocking on the door of their heart, that they would say yes to you and be born into your kingdom. And Father, pray for we who are believers that we'd stop saying no to your plan. We'd stop saying, Lord, one day, one day, one day. Lord, help it to be today that we surrender our all to you. And Lord, help our church to be willing to have your plan at work in us also. Lord, bless in these moments of invitation. May the Spirit of God move and speak. Lord, I pray that only what you desire to be done would be done at this moment. And Lord, give us obedient hearts. For we ask in Christ's name, amen.